0: You're listening to Earth Lads Roundup. Welcome to the show. This is Earthlad's Roundup. My name is Michael Finelli. I am your host and resident Earthlad. Very special show today as we welcome our first ever guest interviewee. It's my old friend, Matty Broad, who I guess now goes by Matt instead of Matty because he thinks it sounds more professional. He works as a labor lobbyist on statewide issues up in Sacramento, representing all sorts of unionized workers, ranging from bus drivers and warehouse employees, all the way to the Utility Workers of America, which covers natural gas employees. Um, So he explains an angle that's often left out of the environmental conversation. All of those workers whose jobs are at stake in this clean energy transition. I don't necessarily agree with all of his positions, but I do think that they're important ones for all of us to consider. Anyways, the dude loves to talk, so I want to get into that. But first, here's a couple quick headlines. All right, so since I've talked about it so much, I should mention that Joe Manchin came out earlier this month, the weekend before Christmas, saying he could not support the Build Back Better bill which many outlets reported as effectively killing the bill. Um, So first of all, I think this really validates the stance of AOC and other progressives in holding up the infrastructure bill as leverage to get this social and environmental bill passed because clearly the word of moderates like Manchin could not be trusted. I am not giving up hope on this, however. I think this is way too big of a priority for biden for him to let go and whether it means separating it into smaller bills or cutting some of the spending i think that they can and will find a way to get something passed before the midterms next november when the democrats are widely expected to lose control of congress um i've talked a lot about how important this is to the future livability of our planet so i'm not going to break that down again but i will just say that i think the media reaction was probably a little overdramatic, as it tends to be because i don't see any reason why this bill can't be pared down a little and picked back up in the coming months um and one thing that gives me hope here is the fact that the coal miners union in west virginia actually came out urging Manchin to reconsider his position the union in his home state of west virginia uh they like a number of things about the bill uh including that it would support miners suffering from black lung disease and encouraging manufacturing facilities to employ miners who have lost their jobs so I think that definitely puts them on notice and offers some hope for um, getting this thing getting this thing back going. And then I also want to address those devastating tornadoes that hit the Midwest a few weeks ago, um, killed over 70 people in Kentucky alone, leveled entire towns. Uh, one of those uh, single tornadoes is said to have torn through over 200 miles. They usually only last a few miles. Um, so as tragic as this is, We cannot conclusively say that climate change has made tornadoes more frequent or more intense. And I think it's really important that we're honest about that. Um, I know it's tempting to assume that all extreme weather events can be pointed to as more evidence of climate change, but we should be careful not to claim that unless it's true. Especially because with recent advancements in the science of attribution, we can now conclusively say that certain events like the hurricanes that caused massive flooding in New York and Germany and the deadly heat waves in the Pacific Northwest earlier this year, um, those were all made worse or more likely because of climate change. Uh, But it undermines the credibility of the movement if we just haphazardly claim every natural disaster as an effect of climate change without having the science to back it up um, and so when it comes to tornadoes the science is a little complicated and I don't want to spend too much time on it but basically the warming climate does present certain conditions that may have contributed to, or to, to tornadoes especially happening in that geographic area this time of year but we don't have enough data and there isn't a scientific consensus on it at this point um, so we just can't say that However, uh, that doesn't make the lives lost and damage done any less tragic, and there should be just as strong a resolve to build resilient infrastructure to prevent as much of that future loss as possible. All right, um, that's all for the headlines today. I want to get into this interview with Maddie Broad. Uh, Here it is. All right, My guest today is Matt Broad, legislative advocate with Broad and Gusman Governmental Advocacy. Welcome to the show.
1: Glad to be here today. Thanks for having me on. Uh,
0: yeah, I'm told you go by Matt Broad now, but uh, I think I'll forever know you as Matty Broad, so I'll do my best to use your official preferred name.
1: It's in your May podcast, it. <laughs> well, I'll respond to whatever you want to call me.
0: <laughs> okay, I appreciate that. Uh, I hope all future guests are as cooperative. Um, first things first, I heard somewhere that lobbyists are destroying America. Why, why do you want to destroy America?
1: <laughs> I I was hoping for this uh, interview to turn confrontational and I'm glad we're going there early. I like this. Absolutely. Uh, it's your show. I'm your punching bag. Uh, mm-hmm. no, I mean, I, I think that, you know, There are there are a variety of special interests, right? Like I alluded to this and and they hire lobbyists to represent their respective industries. Uh, In you know, in my case, I'm a I'm a state lobbyist. So in Sacramento on statewide issues, but obviously there are city lobbyists, there are federal lobbyists. um, And, you know, they don't always have what we would politically think is in the country's best interest they have their clients' best interests in mind. So, you know, a lot of time we spend um, battling with special interests that are coming to the legislature to try to uh, get some sort of statutory change that might favor their business model. Maybe they're trying to get um, public money, um, some sort of fu- uh, form of public money or public assistance. And it's sort of the natural give and take of legislating and, and policy making that you're going to have people Pulling on both sides, unfortunately, we have really talented advocates that are pulling in the right direction, and there are unfortunately really talented uh, advocates pulling in the opposite direction.
0: Probably so, better, probably better funded,
1: pulling in the opposite direction. That's, I would that's why it. I make the <laughs> bucks. That's right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a bit of fighting legal fire with legal fire there, if you will. Sure. <laughs> Um okay so you're certainly a liberal minded person. Um that's not a secret, right? You you openly support Joe Biden. I see the no on the recall sign behind you. I assume that's referring to uh Gavin Newsom. It is.
1: Um
0: and I know that you're concerned about climate change. Uh you know, you you live in Sacramento and you've been in pretty close proximity to uh some historic wildfires up there, right? Yeah. Can you tell me about some of the effects that you've seen in, in person?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I would just say that uh, it's been a, pr- a pretty brutal couple of years um, dealing with, you know, between COVID and the the wildfires in Sacramento, right? Because it's it really is, impo- it's a lose-lose because it's impossible to, to like be outside here when there are fires every summer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know you're looking at the AQI which was definitely a term I didn't you know I'm embarrassed to say I didn't really know before we had wildfires every summer you know is sometimes up as high as close to 300 400 500 where it truly is toxic to be outside and then on top of that um you have COVID right so like you don't want to go places that are indoors where you might be exposed to people so it's really sort of like frustrated things in the summer because um, you can't be outside and you really don't want to be inside either. Um, and I think that, you know, there's a pretty broad recognition in Sacramento amongst people who live here that this is the new normal and that every summer we're going to get a fire in, in Northern California and it's going to be miserable. Um, and, you know, for example, last summer, or I guess this past summer, there was a fire in Grizzly Flats that was, um, pretty close to Sacramento it's probably like 45 minutes away obviously there was fire up very close to Tahoe and it burned uh the property of a friend of mine it completely burnt it down so wow. it's getting closer the air quality wow. is a is a real problem and it's something that we're going to be dealing with um for a long time even if it's always been a part of the California landscape it's becoming worse and you know we're certainly more aware of it
0: yeah wow Sorry to hear about your your friend's house. That's terrible. Um, So, I mean, you're obviously aware of the immediacy of this situation. Um, But at the end of the day, a concern for climate would seem to be at odds with having your ultimate priority be workers' rights, especially when those workers are within the fossil fuel industry, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is Right, like on one on one side of things, you have you have people who are doing these jobs. Um, a lot of times in the fossil fuel industry, because we're talking about industrialized work. Yeah. You have a job, and it's a really good job. It's it's well paid. You have benefits. You have a pension, which is not something that's easy to come by anymore when you're in non-unionized work, and uh, and you have basically activists on the other side that want to get rid of your job instantly, right? Yeah. It's not, or it's, it's a phase out, but what does the phase out look like? It's a two year phase out, right? <laughs> <laughs> you have, you have uh, real concerns about your, your children and your family. And it that's a hard place to start a conversation. But I think, you know, with workers that I've talked to um, and, and the unions that, that obviously I work with, there definitely is a recognition that, the writings on on the wall, and we need to be thinking about how do we green this work and how do we um, make this work, I guess, create opportunities that are commensurate with the opportunities that exist out there. And I, I think that the number one example I give of that is when I used to work for the, the state building trades, which is like the construction uh, union federation, there are guys on oil refineries that make, you know, more money than you can make in pretty much any blue collar job out there. It's really good money because it's skilled labor, right? And you're telling those guys you want to get rid of their job and the alternatives they can have is basically a, a shitty service sector job, you know, working at a fast food restaurant maybe, or they can go do residential rooftop solar where the work's unsafe and the work doesn't pay well, and these companies feast on public subsidies, um, and they, they're fundamentally hostile towards organized labor and, and paying workers fairly. And and that, so when you wrap that into discussions of like, what does a Green New Deal look like, right? Well, we need to be very clear from the beginning that when we make this transition, which we will inevitably have to make, that we, we do right by workers. And it's not just another example of like, hey, we're getting rid of every cold job in America and look what's happened to West Virginia. You know, there's a reason why we have people like Joe Manchin. You know, West Virginia used to be the one of the bluest states in the country. It had really good union density um, yeah. and it was blue because of that density. Um, and because basically unions got people when maybe their instincts on social issues weren't always great, but in my opinion um there the union sort of got them to see the benefit the economic benefits right of like collective action and so they were they were essentially voting with their checkbooks for themselves instead of maybe what you would see now which might be sort of like the polarization and xenophobia and all that other stuff yeah. and um, and so you lose union density in a place like West Virginia and all of a sudden they're super hostile to to just transition right they don't give it they don't care what just transition looks like because they've been left out of the conversations and they're highly cynical about it yeah. their, jobs, th- their jobs have been eliminated and there's no good options in return
0: right but when you say when you say you're thinking about greening these jobs what do you mean by that how do you how do you green a, a fossil fuel job
1: well, I I think it starts with being realistic about where we are and what, you know what our capabilities are. I think that as far as I can tell, with the environmental community, there's this sense of urgency and rightfully so that we need to make this transition right now, mm-hmm. and we need to go all the way. We need to go like full hog on electrification, for example. Yeah. But what is what is the practical implementation outside of uh, the possibility of eliminating good jobs, what does that look like? What does that look like in terms of cost to consumers, right? Because elec- your electrical bill is so much more expensive than your gas bill. You know, there's, there's, I don't know how many people are on natural gas, right? In the state, what are they're supposed to switch over to new, new uh, stovetop, new water heaters, all these things that we take for granted, that are, that are so important in just sort of our day-to-day lives are powered by fossil fuels. And then you look at electrification and the promise of electrification, you say, okay, well, how do you generate electricity? A lot of the times it's actually generated by fossil fuels Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be right. Like obviously we're all on board and sort of like you talk about building wind infrastructure, industrial grade solar, pump storage, that sort of stuff where uh, you know, you're talking about maybe making cleaner energy. We're all we're all for that. But then you look at you have this. We're talking about enormously increasing the size of electrification and electricity needs, um, and we have all sorts of grid instability problems, right? We have these roving blackouts every year, um, and so we have to do it in a way that's mindful that this change, as much as we want it to happen overnight, it's probably not going to happen overnight, and we need to be I, in my opinion, we need to be realistic about the role of like, say a natural gas in the energy portfolio, it, it may be there to sort of generate, um, excess power when we're not getting it, uh, you know, or when we need it for like the, uh, the peak seasons. Right. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe we look at that infrastructure. You say you have a hundred thousand miles of natural gas pipeline in California, you know, can we be using that infrastructure to pipe some sort of hydrogen? Um, And I know hydrogen is a hot button issue because there's blue hydrogen and green hydrogen and what counts Mm. and what's what, but, you know, we have this infrastructure out there already and maybe we should be thinking about utilizing and in the process, creating lots of jobs.
0: All right, folks, I'm inserting a quick intermission here. So feel free to use this opportunity to stretch it out a little or, pause to take a bathroom break or don't it's almost over and we'll get right back into the interview in like, I don't know, four seconds. I understand the resistance to rapidly getting rid of their good paying jobs. Um, But if the transition isn't, you know, one or two years, do, do you really think that they would be open to giving up those good jobs over any time period, over five, 10 years? Like, do you really think that's that's realistic?
1: Well, I think that we need to be looking at how we can tra- like change the work, right? You look at the, ga- the gas infrastructure. We have 100,000 miles of pipeline. Like, why are we foreclosing using hydrogen, um, whether it's green or blue, as, as a way to, an uh, alternative electricity or recognizing that we might not get there overnight there's stuff we can be doing right now to make that transition that that could pro you know we could have a hundred years of work for people Mm -hmm. i really like really really truly i mean you're talking about a hundred thousand miles of gas pipeline in california there's all sorts of hardening um we could be doing to address um gas leaks you know for example a lot of people don't do know this but the way gas leaks are graded by the the PUC, the Utilities Commission here in California, um, is is on a scale of I think it's I want to say it's one to three or one to four. It's been a while since I looked at it, mm-hmm. but it's not by the size of the leak; it's by the the imminent harm it uh, it poses towards humans. So you have these leaks that could be repaired system wide that are you know when you think about by volume. Uh, are just leaking out into the atmosphere, we could be requiring companies um, to fix that now. Right. And that's yeah. a, a bunch yeah. of work.
0: You're referring to Go like ahead, for natural me. gas pipeline. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Natural gas pipeline. So um, for example, you could have a grade three leak out in, you know, let's say like the desert Palm Springs area, it could be a mile long uh-huh. and there's no incentive for the company to fix it because the PUC isn't making them fix it. And that's a problem. Like talking to our guys, our guys would love to be doing the work. They would love to be repairing those leaks. They don't have a whole lot of agency in what the company decides to do. Um, There, there are things they'd like to do, um, like be able to intervene at the PUC um, to sort of make the perspective of workers known um, particularly on some of these issues um, and, you know, another thing that PUC does is it reimburses utilities for lost gas that you that you lose along the way. So not only are these right. there are these big leaks, they don't have the incentive to fix them. So, right. you know, that's that stuff we're looking at. Um, the Utility Workers Union of America is looking at maybe that's something we do in a bill to try to fix. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, we actually introduced a bill um, a couple years ago. That, that dealt with this, it sort of fizzled out due, due to the pandemic, but it would require the utility to adequately staff to fix these leaks um, so that we're not just leaking gas out. Because the truth is natural gas burns clean. So if you can do it in a safe, a reliable way, I don't well, see why.
0: It, not a, it still emits carbon, but. As it well,
1: because it, because it leaks out into the environment.
0: Uh well so those leaks it, that that you're referring to so as it leaks it it turns into methane and that's right uh, and that's a uh, greenhouse gas as well but it also sure, does but, as you're burning it it also does uh emit- I think it
1: burns clean you have, have to research
0: that you have to
1: you have to research that and get back to me
0: I will it, I know for sure but I um I'll confirm afterwards but it uh carbon or, or sorry coal obviously is much dirtier like it emits a lot more, but it, it, natural gas is not, it's not completely clean, but, but go on with your point.
1: Sure. Uh, but, and, you know, I would make that same point about electricity, right? Because not yeah. all electricity is, is clean generated. Sure. And so, yeah. it, you know, that, <laughs> that's, that's why I, I think that there can't, you know, reasonable people can disagree about how, you know, how quickly we need to phase out natural gas for these reasons. Yeah. Um, I I do think you have to walk walk the line between being so aggressive about phasing something out. You have a sort of like a consumer revolt, Mm -hmm. which is certainly possible. I mean, I, you know, we had an energy crisis in the state in the early two thousands where energy wasn't reliable. You had it in Texas, what a year ago, where people were literally freezing to death. And a lot of that has to do with the profit incentive for utilities. Right. But it, you know, it stands to reason that if you don't do this stuff thoughtfully and do it in a way where it's it's actually feasible, you could really have a, a revolt when people you know aren't getting the power they need. Totally, um, and we've seen yeah. that with the rolling blackouts. Of course,
0: yeah, yeah, you have to have re- reliable energy sources. But I, I would just say, you know, I, you're a smart guy. I'm sure you you recognize the science and the scientific consensus is that we have to cut emissions in half by the end of this decade, by 2030, and then be carbon neutral by 2050. So, you know, I mean, the, the way that you frame this kind of makes it seem like, you know, it's inevitable. It's something that's that's down the road, but you must recognize that the most basic element of this is our fossil
1: fuel use. And we have to start cutting that immediately, right? Sure, but it it seems to me that like the environmental community sometimes fixates on certain things. Like it's mm-hmm. all in on electrification. Yeah, no, and, like, I agree with that. I agree with that. I, I think the electrification thing
0: is you know is we could maybe not the best I, place to focus the
1: energy. Well, that's what I'm saying is like we energy could cut energy. out natural gas over, overnight, Michael, and we would still have <laughs> thousands of thousands of tankers every day going all the way across the world to get us our iPhones. You know, like what's the Right. It, it, we we are for for better for worse. We're in this global system now, mm-hmm. um, and you know I I personally think it's it's caused a lot of problems for us because you know we have gotten rid of lots of good jobs in America, yeah. um, and we would probably have a smaller carbon footprint if we were making things here and paying a, a workers a livable wage to do that. But it, until we're willing to do that, I mean I I think we need to be sort of clear-eyed about the fact that there's so much give and take to all these policy choices. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying I believe me, I recognize it. I think every single one of us who reads the news or doesn't have their head buried in the sand knows that we have to do something immediately. Like we're, we're out of time. Right. Um, But you know, the question is, can you really do that in one to two years? And if you can't do that in one to two years, can you do it in a way That takes care of workers and if you decide that you have to do it in one to two years, the solution certainly isn't like laying off all these workers and saying gee sorry you know you've you've been working in this industry for 20 years but shit you know the writings on the wall now. Now go find another job. Democrats love to talk about retraining, you know, like we're gonna mm-hmm. turn everybody yeah. into coders. But <laughs> that's that I it's it's true. Yeah. I hear this all the time talking to people. It's like, what do you think about, you know, like universal basic income? It's like, well, there are lots of people out there, working class people who want to have a job. They want they have pride in the work they do, particularly if they're a trades person. And um, and we need to be cognizant of that. And like, I think that. What so often gets lost in these discussions is it's so class-based. It's like, can't you see that like environmentalism, like we're, we're looking at an existential threat and of course they can see that, but how do you talk to people? How do you actually create meaningful change in their life that keeps them level? Right. Because that, you know, we have to lift the boat for everybody. Anyways, that's, that's my spiel.
0: (laughs) All right, Mr. Broad. Well, I appreciate you sharing your perspectives with me today and coming on the show. Of course. Well,
1: I'm I'm glad to be on. And, uh, you know, if I didn't talk too much, I'm always welcome to come back. Um, you know, we can really mix <laughs> well, it up. I'll we be can, the judge of that. I'll be the judge if yeah, you're welcome to come back. I'd say we leave it to the listeners. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Agreed. We'll see, we'll see what they <laughs> have right. to say. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. Happy holidays. All right. So a few notes on that interview. First of all, can you believe this guy tried to check me on the carbon emissions? Unreal. Uh, I did confirm it, Matty Broad. And yes, natural gas does emit CO2 when burned. A new efficient natural gas power plant emits about 50 to 60% less than a coal fired plant, which is still a substantial amount. Um And for what it's worth, both drilling sites or fracking and as well as their development centers have been linked to human health impacts. So it is not clean, clean power by any means. Um, That said, I was really encouraged by his point on that about these workers wanting to work on sealing natural gas pipelines, because that's one of the easier ways that we can cut methane emissions. And would be a big part of that 30% by 2030 pledge that Biden helped spearhead at Glasgow. So, yeah, that gives me optimism. Hopefully something can get done there. Um, Even if we plug every leaky natural gas pipeline, though, we do still have to cut it back. Yes, we would still have tankers shipping iPhones and countless other emission sources, but that's not a good reason not to do it. We have to cut back everywhere. Um, I don't know that forcing people to switch from gas stoves and water heaters to electric is necessarily the best place to start, but I think that regardless, every fossil fuel worker should feel an existential threat to their job right now. And that's not to say that they're bad people. Um, You know, there are absolutely some straight up evil people in the fossil fuel industry. Those CEOs and their billionaire investors who over the years mounted disinformation campaigns to intentionally deceive the public about climate change. They're evil for sure. Those are bad actors, but the blue collar workers who have made a living in this industry don't share that blame in my opinion, and they deserve to be taken care of and we should get as many of them as possible into new commensurate opportunities as Maddie would say. Um, Now we can't wait around for those replacement jobs to be created in order to phase these things down. But I think that as we ramp up clean energy sources, there should be plenty of engineering jobs outside of coding or fast food for these skilled laborers to transition into. Anyways, I think these arguments are important ones for environmentalists to keep in mind. And while we should always be aware of the jobs angle and try to incorporate it as much as possible, we can't let it slow down the clean energy transition. Okay, and then I know this is a long episode, so just a very quick, the happy part today. (laughs) Um, National Geographic put out a great piece detailing five big environmental victories from 2021. Um, First, the nerdy one that I hadn't realized the extent of. Uh, We've actually seen some notable movement on our plastics problem. Uh, There's been some landmark legislation and agreements. That's definitely an issue I'd like to dig into in the future, so look out for that. And then, of course, an adorable one you might have forgotten about because so much has happened since then. But earlier this year, it was announced that the giant panda populations have recovered enough for China to remove them from the endangered species list. The panda is, of course, the symbol of the World Wildlife Foundation and humpback whales, the subject of the old Save the Whales campaign, have also recovered. So it goes to show that when we focus our energy somewhere, results can get done. Okay, we'll end it there. Thanks so much for listening today. Really appreciate your support. Thanks as always to Dominic Burnham for the theme music and big thanks again to Matt E. Broad for coming <laughs> on the show. Uh, this has been Earth Lads Roundup. I'm Michael Finelli. wishing you a very happy new year.